Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you on this wondrous day. Lord, time that we have dedicated to your worship, we ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in our hearts and lives. Lord, we still have two more songs to sing. We pray that we would sing to bring glory to your name and that you would enjoy our offering of praise and singing. I pray for the preaching this morning, Lord, that I would preach the message that you have. And Lord, for the invitation that not one of us would keep from you what belongs to you. That your word would have its will and way and change us. That we may leave this place better equipped to serve you. Lord, we ask that our worship would not only be for this service, but it would go with us through this week to bring glory and honor to your most precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please. And uh, I will tell you this, that uh, as we were in other churches and uh, uh, several of the churches, we were able to say thank you to churches that actually helped us when we were buying our building. In fact, uh, Brother Webster said, listen, your faith is now sight. Years ago, we gave to help open door. And uh, he went on and on and said, I can't wait to see the miracle on whatever street it is in Greenpoint when the Newburgers get started. And so we praise the Lord for what he is doing. And I just want to thank all those that prayed. Uh, The Lord did keep us safe on the roads. Uh, There were many opportunities for bad things to happen and the Lord protected us, and I do believe that uh, the the reason was able to I was able to preach uh, at the meetings is because people here were praying. Uh, I could feel the difference. In fact, uh, Brother Copes came up and said that was the best chapel service you've ever preached. And he said, I said you weren't even there. He said, No, that's what everybody told me. And so I just want to say thank you to those that prayed because God did answer those prayers. And the sermon I would like to preach this morning is the sermon I preached at the uh, Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. I wanted uh, to preach it here before you had a chance to download the copy, amen, and uh, listen to it uh, from there. But And it's not because, well, I had this sermon ready and I didn't have time to prepare anything. I, I just felt that this was... Uh, a message that was actually directed toward our church, uh, something that's been on my heart for for many years, is we look at what's going on in society around us. How many of you are discouraged by what you see happening in our country today? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to give you anything new. If I were to give you something new, it wouldn't be Bible, and then it would be worthless. Amen? But uh, what are we supposed to do about it? And I believe the book of Esther really has an answer for you and I today. I believe that God is in control of the circumstances of the world in which we live. Do you believe that today? Say amen. Amen. Uh, I believe that God manipulates people and events so that they will fulfill his will. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? I, I believe that God does. I also believe that the devil is manipulating people and events in attempt to accomplish what he wants. Don't say amen to that. But he does. And sometimes we feel trapped by events and circumstance. And they don't all have to be political. The application is in our personal lives as well. It just feels like everything is coming upon you. And the theme for the meeting there in uh, National City, California, was the book of Esther, uh, chapter 4. And verse 14, and we'll just get a little bit uh, of the context here. Verse 13, then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That was the theme of the meeting, for such a time as this. That's one of those super statements in the Bible. Just like when David was standing in the valley before he even contemplated fighting Goliath, his brother had upbraided him and he says, is there not a cause? I mean, that is just one of those statements. It grabs a hold of you because history tells us every generation that has ever lived has come to a point to where they believed it could not get any worse than it is. Every generation has had that happen to them. Now, we believe that things are bad, do we not? And what I want us to do is God puts the recording of lives in the Bible, decisions that they made and things that they have done so that we can see how we ought to live. Now, I am not normally one that uh, believes in alliteration and works very hard on it, but this sermon just kind of Uh, alliterated itself, and uh, I want you to, it will help you remember the story of the book of Esther, and of course, uh, even though I'm in my own pulpit here and I can take as long as I want, you know what, you people are awful patient, and I appreciate that. We will not take time to go through every event in the book of Esther. Just want to summarize the book of Esther in a way that will help you remember the things that are in the book of Esther, not necessarily chronological events here, but first of all, I'd like you to notice the plans of the plotters. I mean, there's an awful lot of scheming and planning going on. There were the main characters in the book of Esther were the people who were plotting to carry out their means. I think the greatest plotter in the book of Esther, and this may surprise some of you, is Mordecai. I mean, he had all kinds of plans, didn't he? 
I mean, he was trying to pull the strings and manipulate things. And even the book of Esther ends with the, the verse that Mordecai sought the, the uh, enlargement of his seed or of his people. Mordecai knew one thing. He was a Jew. The Jews were God's chosen people. God blesses them. That blessed the seed of Abraham. Amen. And he curses them. They curse the seed of Abraham. Be careful. There's an awful lot of anti-Semitism in our world today. It's rising. It has to in order that the events in the book of Revelation will come to pass. Mordecai, when Esther, when Vashti was removed from queen, put Esther in what I would call the vilest beauty contest in the world. Have you ever really thought what happened? If Esther had failed to become the queen, she would live in widowhood for the rest of her life. Held by the chamberlains, by the guards of the kings in the king's house. She'd be one of his many wives. I mean, this was the way that it worked out. And it said, except that the king called her by her name, that she would never see the king again. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't think of allowing one of my daughters to participate in something like that. It would be abominable to me. But Mordecai was willing to risk everything that Esther might become the queen. And she did. His plans worked out. Just because you're planning doesn't mean that it won't work out, right? He immediately after Esther became the queen began to sit in the king's gate. Did anybody invite Mordecai there? Absolutely not. He was going there and he was going to stay there until somebody noticed him. He knew that his opportunity would come and it did. He overheard two of the king's men plotting to assassinate the king. And he made sure that Esther certified that to the king in Mordecai's name. Now you talk about a guy who was trying to use events of history to better himself. I mean, this was Mordecai. Why do you think he sat in the king's gate when Haman walked through and the king had given a commandment that everybody was supposed to bow before him and there's a word in the book of Esther that is used, the word reverence. Reverence is something that belongs only to God. Now, Mordecai caught that. He said, I'm a Jew. I'm not going to sacrifice my worship to God, even though the word God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. It's the only book in the Bible that does not have the name of God in it. But can you not see God's hand through this book? I mean, Mordecai 
was one of those guys that was trying to make things happen. How about Haman? He's the other chief plotter in the book of, of Esther. You say, well, why isn't the king involved? Read the book of Esther. The king didn't plot or plan anything. He got upset and, and get angry and he'd do this and he'd get angry and he'd do that. I mean, he was played like a fine violin. I mean, the, the, the king in this story was nothing but a puppet in the hands of his counselors and those who were giving him information. When Haman was giving him information, he did what Haman wanted. When Mordecai gave him information, he did what Mordecai wanted. Esther, was she planning and plotting? No. Do you know how much trust it took in her cousin Mordecai to do the things that he said to do? I mean, it was easy for Mordecai to say, enter the the contest to be the queen. But it was Esther that would live in widowhood all of her life if it failed. I'll tell you what, that shows an awful lot of faith, does it not? You know what? People who have faith are not plotting and planning. They're listening to those that give them direction. Amen? Haman, his agenda, the destruction of the Jewish people. Why? Because Mordecai the Jew wouldn't reverence him. Haman's real agenda was the advancement of Haman. He liked Haman. Haman was his favorite person. I mean, Haman was one of those guys that looked in the mirror every morning and said, you beautiful, smart, wise man. How could so much goodness be wrapped up in one little package? I mean, that was Haman. This is aside from the main message, but let me tell you something. If you choose to serve yourself, you make yourself a tool in the hand of the devil. You can't help it. You will be. Haman wanted to destroy Mordecai. And he knew the best way to get it done was not only get Mordecai. You know, Mordecai believed in some things bigger than Mordecai. Haman was wise enough to understand this. But if Mordecai could know that his behavior occasioned the destruction of all Jews... He was going to get Mordecai all the way. He had them cast the lot before him. If you want another P, he called out his own, hired his own prognosticators. Do you know what a prognosticator is? Uh, That's like your uh, sister Deborah up here on 30th Avenue. I'll tell you the future and read your future in the card. Stay away from those people. What isn't a lie is of the devil. So stay away from that stuff. But Haman was such a plotter and a planner 
that he had hired these men to come in and they cast the lot or the purr was the, was the name of the lot that they cast before him every day for a whole year so that he could determine what was the best day of the year to destroy the Jewish people. You know, sometimes we'll go through a whole day without praying. It's not good. Haman was so intense that he had hired men to pray to the devil for him every day to find out the luckiest day. And guess what his lucky number came up? Thirteen. The 13th day of the 12th month. Any trichodecophobias out there? Are you afraid of the 13s? I mean, there are, any older building here in New York City doesn't have a 13th floor. You know where they get that fear of 13s from? Book of Esther. Because Haman chose the 13th day of the 12th month as his lucky day to destroy the Jewish people. You talk about the plotters and the plans of the plotters. The book of Esther is full of them. Now the next one is the pieces of the puzzle. You can't have plans and plotters without putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Here is Mordecai's pieces. He had Esther the queen. She had obeyed him and not told the king her race, her people. She was in the palace. She had at least limited access to the king as more than any other person. Mordecai also had his Jewishness. And he stayed true to that. Even though he was plotting and planning, he did not break God's laws. Mordecai also had the discovery of the plot against the king. You would think if you saved somebody's life, it would do you some good, now wouldn't it? Now most of you have read the story here. When Mordecai actually discovered the plot, the king did an investigation and found out the two guys were planning exactly as Mordecai had said, and he put them to death. What good did it do, Mordecai? Absolutely nothing at that point. It was just recorded in the history of the kings of Persia. You talk about a boring book. We'll get to that in a minute. Haman, he had the king's ear. He had the king's permission to destroy all the Jewish people. He had enough money to get the king's attention. He said, I'm going to offer 10,000 talents of silver to destroy the Jewish people. He wouldn't have offered that to the king if he didn't have it, my friend. Now, the idea of all of this money and all of this power. His plotting and his planning. This leads us to the next set of peace. The power of the prevaricator. I had to do a little search and no. How many people know what a prevaricator is? 
We have another P word for them. Politicians. <laughs> Prevaricator means someone who departs from the truth. Someone who twists the truth. Uh, my mama said, you don't use the word liar, that's me. So I learned the word prevaricator early on in my life. Amen? Uh, because you're just going to come up with a bunch of liars. And who was a greater liar than Haman? I mean, he told all those lies to the king about the Jewish people. He wasn't satisfied with just getting rid of Mordecai. He became a tool in the hand of the devil in an attempt to derail God's prophecies. But he had his way, did he not? The edict had been given to destroy the Jewish people. Everything was going Haman's way. He had the power. The power of the entire Persian Empire was in Haman's hand and at his disposal. Then we come to the last set of peace. And that is the poverty of the pure. What could Mordecai do when he heard that the edict was signed? He wept. He put on sackcloth. He prayed. There was nothing he could do to reverse the king's commandment at this point. What did the other Jewish people do? They wept. They wailed. Mordecai had to understand that it was his behavior toward Haman that had occasioned Haman to get the king's ear and try to destroy the entire Jewish people. How would it be to be carrying on your conscience the genocide of your entire nation? It probably seemed pretty petty to Mordecai right now that he didn't reverence Haman. But you know what? Why didn't Mordecai reverence Haman? Because Mordecai knew enough Bible that you didn't worship men. Esther? I think about Esther in this whole story. Even after she was the queen, she said, Unless the king calls me, I could lose my life by knocking on the king's door, demanding an audience. Could you imagine that? But that was the world that Esther lived in. And she had not been called into the king at this point in 30 days. You know what? Maybe the king was thinking about putting on Esther on the Vashti list. Who knows? You know, it wouldn't be beyond the character of the Persian kings to honor a man like Mordecai and then a couple of months later let him be killed according to the king's edict. I mean, that, that was not out of character. But you see, the last point 
of the book of Esther doesn't fit the alliteration at all, and I don't intend it to. Look with me to chapter 6 and verse 1. On that night, could not the king sleep? Just that first phrase. On that night, could not the king sleep? If you read all of the details of the story, Haman had already built a gallows to hang Mordecai on. In his backyard, he built the gallows because he wanted to destroy Haman. He was standing in the anteroom in the place where the king's visitors waiting and the question on his mind and on his heart was, I can't wait until the 13th day of the 12th month. Can I have Mordecai today? That was what was going on. The trap was set. Mordecai could do nothing. Nobody could do nothing. What if Esther had gone to the king a week earlier? What if the king had already rewarded Mordecai? And he reached through the animals. What was done? Oh, we gave a parade in the honor of Mordecai. Oh, good enough. He's going to die in a few months anyway. Who cares? Let's go on. Next story. I want you to understand something. All of the plans of the plotters were worthless until the hand of God came in and put everything together God's way. The pieces of the puzzle did not belong to Mordecai and Haman. They belonged to God. And when God puts his puzzle together, the reflection is the goodness and the glory of God. Amen? The power of the prevaricators. God loves to destroy the pride of those who would stand against him. In fact, read the book of Job. He says, you want to prove your God? Humble the pride of Leviathan. You humble the pride of Behemoth. And then I'll talk to you as an equal. And of course, Job said, I repent in dust and ashes. Because it is the poverty of the pure that God uses. You see the picture? But it all revolves around one phrase. On that night, could not the king sleep. God changed all history by keeping the king awake. On the very night when everything was about to turn. Tell you what, mankind has tried to invent stories that are good as the Bible. Let me tell you something. There's nothing out there that begins to match the real life events of the book of Esther. Amen? 
Now, let's move. We're through the introduction, amen? Let's move to 2013. Uh, how much talking do we need to do about the plans of the plotters today? Talking about just in our country, in our society. You know what? For the first time since 1973, when the Supreme Court legislated abortion into America history, for the first time, a majority of Americans polled now believe that abortion is right. It's taken all these years. 40 years. Is that right? 73? 2013? 2013? 40 years. How many of you know the history of the Supreme Court decision? Jane Doe, the baby that was involved in the actual court proceedings had to be born because the court took longer than the gestation period that was allowed. Jane Doe actually became a Christian. Do you think she's pro-abortion? No. She used to be until she gave up her bitterness and her hatred and trusted the God of this book called the Bible. Amen. Do you know all the information given to the court to make that decision was nothing but made-up lies in order to sway the court? One of the greatest points of argument, in fact, you heard it repeated if you were listening on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, uh, probably the future mayor of New York City, Christine Wynn, I, I, don't, I don't endorse her in any way, but uh, looks like she'll be our next mayor. Repeated the lies. If we don't, if we turn back the laws on abortion, there'll be backroom abortions and women's health will be put at risk. That's a lie. Do you know how many deaths by backroom abortions there were on the records in 1973? Less than 50, my friend. I don't know the exact number, but it was in the 20s. They reported hundreds and hundreds and hundreds to the Supreme Court and was believed as a fact. On that evidence alone, Roe versus Wade should be thrown out because it was a decision based upon false evidence. But not going to happen, my friend. What do you think swayed the attitude of American people toward abortion? Let me tell you something. It's the plotters and the planners. The plans of the plotters. Do you know that we have more states that have constitutional amendments banning sodomite or homosexual marriage than we do states that permit it? Did you know that? It's like three to one, two to one. No, it's like three to one. States that have already passed state constitutional amendments banning sodomite marriage within their states. 
Well, what's the number one agenda on our president's? It's not the economy, my friend. He had to file a brief with the Supreme Court promoting sodomite marriage. They did so last week. Why do you think that's going? Because of the plans of the plotters. That's politics. Where do you think the idiocy came from that we need to suspend capitalism to save it? That somehow socialism will save capitalism? Where does that idiocy come from, my friend? It comes from people who have taught in our classrooms for generations things that are absolutely false as truth. You know what? You cannot stand up and say you're a good scientist unless you believe man came from monkeys. Well, nothing could be more stupid. That is a crude word, but believing that you came from monkeys, there is no excuse for that kind of ignorance. There is no excuse. It's ridiculous. I've painted a pretty dismal picture. But that's what's going on in our society today. And it's going on because people are planning and plotting to make these things happen, is it not? Well, how about religion? I can tell you the story of the head of the music department at the college I went to. Now, I graduated college 27 years ago this May. So we're going back a little bit of time. While I was a student, I took saxophone lessons from the head of the music department because he played the saxophone. And if my saxophone sounds good and pleasing to you today, it's because of what uh, the, the professor there taught me. But one day he sat me down and said, I want you to understand something. He said, music is a neutral medium through which messages are transmitted. Do you understand what he was saying? Music in and of itself has no meaning. So, heavy metal rock and roll music Ace Freely and all those jerks is equal with Fanny Crosby and Blessed Assurance. It's just the words that make the difference. I was sitting in a chair, and of course he was standing. It was a private lesson. Whatever that has to do with playing the saxophone, I still haven't figured out. But I remember looking at him and I said, Doc Bowen, I said, I don't believe that. And he started trying to convince me. And after a few moments, I said, Dr. Bowen, I will never believe that. And I packed up my instrument and walked out. Today, at that same college, they do not train music directors. They train worship leaders. Now, here's the difference. 
See, in our church, let me tell you who the worship leader is. I'm the worship leader. Because what I'm trying to do is lead you in a way to worship God. What they call a worship leader is someone who knows how to sway back and forth, girls and guys. And you'll notice one thing, when they pick a little group to stand on the platform, they don't pick ugly people. In fact, a preacher friend of mine, an older gentleman up in Minnesota one time, he had gone to one of the meetings there at the college, and I said, I bet that was a mess. He said, you couldn't, you couldn't imagine it. He said, the hems were high, the necklines were low, and he said, you couldn't pay attention to anything that was going on during the music. And I'm sitting here going, and they call that worship. If you want to know one of the reasons I'm excited about Heartland Baptist Bible College, is because they're still doing the same things that the Bible says to do. They have refused to become a victim of the plotters and planners. You see, let me just give you an overview here quickly. I don't want to waste too much time, but this is where much of my life was lived. In watching friends, men that I respected, several of the heroes I had in the faith, men that taught me, churches that supported our church right here, succumb to worldliness. That was the battle of the 90s. It's actually the Bible word is separation. That's a dirty word today in Christian circles. Somebody says, what kind of church is this? I, I, I like to tell them, I said, listen, we're an independent fundamental Baptist church. Actually, the best word I can use is we're a separatist church. Ooh. Say, well, why do you use the word separate? Because we believe in separating from false doctrine. We believe that the church ought to be separate from the world. The lie of this day is that the world is fine... And we can invite them and their music into the church and Jesus is going to be just as happy with us. In fact, he'll be more happy with us because we'll have more people here. No, it was Jesus that said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction and many be that go in thereat. You see, in the 70s, the argument was Calvinism. Guess what? You can't pick up a textbook today that isn't influenced unless it's totally modernistic and cutting down the Bible. You cannot pick up a book today that, does not, uh, that teaches anything about the Bible that isn't influenced by Calvinism in one way or another. I'm talking about the textbooks that are used in our colleges. In the 80s, when I was a student, the battle was over the old King James Bible. The school I went to, when I was a student there, if you carried anything but a King James, you were known as a radical on campus. Today, if you walked on campus carrying a King James Bible, you would be called a radical. 
That's how far things have gone. The plotters and the planners. There are people that wanted these things to happen and they're getting their way. How about in the family? I mean, all the TV shows of the 50s were about dysfunctional families, weren't they? Now, dysfunctional is normal. To have one man married to one woman and their children living in that home is abnormal. It is. But uh, how about we talk about the pieces of the puzzle? The world owns the education system, do they not? They own the media system. I tell you, if you haven't learned anything about the last two elections, please understand this. All the conservative talk is absolutely meaningless in the realm of media and information in the United States. So don't listen to those programs and feel good because you've got 26 million people listening with you, as one host claims. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter. They have the communication. You want to know one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle? that is going to bring about the destruction of our country is Obamacare. And it's going to happen, my friend. False religion, to get up and preach like I have in a pulpit today, would brand me as a radical. Well, praise the Lord. Let's just keep going. Amen. The most popular book in print today outside the Bible itself is The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. One of the most evil books that's ever been put into print. Because it turns true Christianity inside out. It makes you go to Christ and write down your ideals over top of this book called the Bible. Now you're not going to read those words in the book. But let me tell you, that's what happens when you follow what's in the book. We don't have time. Maybe sometime I'll do a whole sermon on that. What, what pieces of the puzzle do we have? Well, you got this piece right here. The Bible. Let's try that again. You have the Bible. That's a piece to the puzzle, is it not? You know what the other piece to the puzzle is? You're sitting in it, the local church. Amen? It's just simple obedience to God's word. That's all we have. Does it look like it's going to work? Well, let's talk about the power of the prevaricators for a moment. The liars have it, do they not? The average person attending church today believes that sin is okay as long as you feel good about it. 
I mean, if we were to take a poll today, and I have no intentions of doing this, and I don't want to, how many people have never tasted alcohol? You think it would be a majority of people in this room? How many people have never smoked marijuana? Do you think it would be a majority of people in this room? I don't think so. The the people that got married pure? I mean, start thinking about it. We're in a sad way today as a nation, as a society. Now, please, don't misunderstand. God forgives sin. Amen? But I want you to think about where our society is and where it has come and the power of the liars and the poverty of the pure. Have you ever felt like there's nothing you can do to change anything in the world in which you live? Well, I want to tell you something. God intended it to be that way. Because on that night, could not the king sleep? You see, I'm here to tell you that in spite of all of the things that we look about and and the disappointment and the discouragement and the dark days in which we live, God is still in control. Amen? He will still keep the king awake on the night that he needs to put everything together to fulfill what's in his book called the Bible. Amen? You see, I'm not looking for the undertaker. As the old preacher said, I'm looking for the upper taker. Amen? I'm waiting for the trumpet to sound. You know what God has asked us to do? He's asked us to be faithful. How many of you have read Revelation chapter 3? The verse that's printed on the door out there. Read the rest of that. For thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. For thou hast, what? A little strength. You see, it's God that opens the doors. Our church would not be here without the miracle working hand of God. Amen? The reason we are still here is because of the miracle working hand of God. You know, the most unimportant thing that was going on in the book of Esther was probably the fact that Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. I mean, it was a critical point, but in Mordecai's life, he wasn't thinking much about that. He was trying to get Esther to become the queen. He, he had succeeded in that. He was trying to get himself noticed in the king's gate. And he had succeeded to a degree to do that. But you see, what God said was, you obey me. You see, it's time, friends, that we stop trying to join the plotters and the planners. I've met too many people who call themselves Christians that waste their lives trying to figure out what they're going to do when it happens. Give me a break, my friend. 
God didn't give you that wisdom. It's above your pay grade, if we can borrow someone else's terminology. It's time that you and I understand that we have poverty. There's blessed are the poor in spirit. But if you don't stay pure, God will not use you. If our church doesn't stay faithful to the word of God, God will not use our church. You see, he didn't give us a lot of complicated things to do. He gave us some very simple things to do. We got to stop trying to help God do what only God can do and get busy doing what He's called us to do. You know what? You can't determine what your health is going to be six months from now or even six minutes from now. Let God take care of that. You'll be faithful. I can't determine what the president is going to do. I can't stop the destruction of our society as we know it. The the losing of our freedom. Someone said, they'll never get my guns. Hey, if they can charge you $15 an axle to cross a bridge. Excuse me. They'll get everything else. Don't don't worry about that. They're going to get it. And you're not going to stop them. Uh, But if you'll admit that you can't do anything and just be faithful, that's when God does things. Amen? Somebody told me, you're just sticking your head in the sand. Uh Uh-uh. You see, I believe in Facebook as long as it's this book. Amen? Just put your face in the book. It'll keep you from worrying about a lot of things that will destroy you. Because on that night could not the king sleep. He had every intention of sleeping. Couldn't you just see in your mind's eye the king trying to sleep and an angel poking him in the ribs? Whispering in his ear, you're not going to sleep. Finally, one of them says, hey, you can't go to sleep. Read the records of the kings of Persia, the most boring books that were ever written. And so he calls his people in and they begin to open the books and the angel begins flipping through the pages for him. How in the world did he get to the point of Mordecai's story by accident, my friend? You see, God used Haman's hatred, his greed, his power to destroy him. And God will do the same. You know what? Many of his servants have given their lives for his name down through the ages. The Bible tells us that's not a defeat. 
That is a victory. But I'll tell you, if you want a real struggle and a real hero, just live for him. He's not calling for dying sacrifices in Romans chapter 12, but living ones. Amen? God will use his church to accomplish his will. He will not share the glory or the work of his church with any organization, man, group of men, or any other thing on this earth. God only has plan A. We will, the church will not be the victim. The church will be the victor. But what you need to do is just be faithful. Well, I've given this example many times. One of the most asked questions in the month after 9-11 is, what has changed in your church? Some of you were here when 9-11 happened, and you'll remember, not much changed around here. Uh, we did have a few more people show up for one or two Sundays, but that got off real quick. You know why? Because church isn't a trinket that you wear around your neck. Not here, anyway. It takes responsibility. It takes effort to show up and listen. It takes a desire to allow God's word. Not much change. You know why? Because we were already doing what was right. In fact, we're still doing those very same things. Pass out tracts. Preach. Pray. Read the Bible. Try to encourage each one that comes. And just simply serving the Lord day by day. You read the book of Esther. All the plotting and planning, even the good things that Mordecai accomplished were absolutely worthless without God's timing and his putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Do you agree with me on that? And I'll tell you, it's the same God that lives today. And he's putting together the pieces of his puzzle. And it will reflect his glory when it's all done. It will follow what is in here. Prophecy must be fulfilled, my friend. All he wants you to do is to be faithful to his word. You know what? If you're not saved, none of this morning's message is helpful to you at all. Because you can't be faithful to God's word until you're faithful to trust Jesus as your Savior first. Amen? If you're saved today, uh, let me tell you, if you want to follow God's word, the next thing to get taken care of is getting baptized, become a member. I have a church I recommend right here in Astoria. Amen. Serve the Lord with us. What is the church about? The church is a place where Christians struggle together to be obedient to God's word 
and carry out his commands. That's what church is. You say, but pastor, I'm not perfect. Good, you'll fit right in, amen? Listen, the church is the place where we serve the Lord. Be faithful in your giving to missions. That's what the Bible says we ought to do. Now, don't take your tithe and give it to missions because we still got to keep things going here. Amen? It's got to work together. How many of you want to see some incredible things happen in Greenpoint, Brooklyn with the New Birch? I hope you're still praying about Brother Franz and Miss Sonia going to the Bronx. And we're going to make them wait a little while, but their first year is almost up. Then we're going to really start working them hard, all right? Why? Because we want to prepare them to serve the Lord and start a church. It's the most serious business in the world. I'll tell you what. Last two weeks, a little over two weeks, I literally have driven from coast to coast been in seven different churches, actually preaching in seven different churches on the trip and fellowshipping with dozens and dozens of pastors. I'm so glad God put me here. I am so glad God put me here. And I want our church to be faithful till Jesus takes us out of the way. That means you've got to read your Bible. You've got to be in service. You've got to pray. You've got to give. Just got to be faithful. And you know what? Just ignore so much of what's going on in the world. Because on that night could not the king sleep. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, my prayer is this morning that the Holy Spirit would already have been at work in hearts and lives, giving direction of what things need to be altered, what things need to be surrendered, what needs to be changed, things that need to be done. We come before you and ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict. And Lord, that you would give us grace to respond. That we may see your name lifted up through your church right here in Astoria. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz, come and lead us in the hymn of invitation. If you know